You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. On today's podcast, I've got Johnny Stewart on again as a guest and we're talking about late season. Now, some might call Johnny somewhat of a rut and late season specialist because his job doesn't give him a ton of free time in the early season. So he'll often hunt until the very bitter end in states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, or even Iowa. And he's killed a number of good deer during that time frame. We discuss big woods, like the National Forest that we walked together during the Spartan Forge Veterans Hunt a couple of weeks ago, and how to find likely food sources in vast areas. Then we also talk about more pocketed areas of land where there might even be ag as a food source. In addition to finding food, we talk setups, access, pressure, weather, and off-the-wall tactics like scouting at night when deer are out feeding away from their bedding areas. Before we dive in, a quick word about Spartan Forge, which of course helps make this podcast and my YouTube channel possible. The Spartan Forge app is an excellent hunt planning tool. When planning far in advance, you can look at historical weather, temperatures, and wind directions, and then as it gets closer to the hunt, you can see the daily weather forecast, including graphical displays of temperature and pressure, and get the only deer movement prediction algorithm that's based on collared deer movement studies from across the country. During late season bed to food patterns, that can be immensely helpful knowing when to low impact scout and when to dive in. Not to mention, Spartan Forge has a fully featured map and a journaling feature to document the details and weather information about each hunt. Use the code DIY to receive a discount on a Spartan Forge membership. And with that, let's dive into the episode. I think by you, late bow last, what, like... February? Ohio's February. Okay. Uh, maybe it's like 10th or 12th of January. Okay, so, so that's, that's pretty similar to us. I always feel like in some of those seasons where you can hunt through February, I always wonder how many of the bucks have shed their antlers by that time of the year. Well, these deer in PA, I don't know if I told you, it's a two-week gun season. It starts Saturday, and that last few days of the gun season is doe hunting. Yep these guys are killing these bucks without horns that last so you're looking early december that these big i think that the ratio is good they get their breeding in and they start recovering because they know what's to come and they drop shed their horns so a lot of guys find horns um and you know right after gun season you're looking at the 10th 12th 14th of december they're finding 
and they were the big ones. And then they turn almost into a doe and their testosterone levels change or they, the, the horns that, that, you know, and they're seen in places that they wouldn't be seen with that headgear and they're getting killed. A lot of them. And I don't know why they do that. I'd rather have the first three days shooting doe and let them, but a lot of deer are turning up at a butcher shop with the big socks sockets in their head. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's interesting how the timing definitely shifts. Cause I mean, I've seen deer too, like on the, the very far extreme, like in the cities here, like in parks where there's been deer that have still been carrying their antlers in like late March. Now around here where I live, yeah, suburbs south of Pittsburgh and these deer are March, April, and I even smelled smelled them rotten. I don't know if the I don't know what happens. I mean the population is getting better now, but there was a high doe population to where they just kept wearing themselves out because they were looking for it wasn't a tight you know buck to doe ratio, and they were just running. And I think that's why some of the racks weren't as big because they just constantly forced to breed with the scents in the air. And, you know, I think up north it's a good ratio and they, they get done with it and they can move on with life. But, yeah, I, there's a lot of times in where I grew up hunting that in these suburbs, March, April, they still packing. Second week of April, I've seen deer with horns. So, Yeah. And up at you, there's not really a lot of – I guess food sources other than just the natural browse, like some of the stuff that that you showed me on the the Spartan Forge Veterans Hunt, like the the tea berry leaves, the the briars. I mean, mm-hmm. is that kind of the same set of food sources that carries you through the late season too, or do you have other food sources that start to pop up as the months go on? So we had that two inches of snow or the snow, inch of snow after you left, and I mean, I sent Bill to a spot up uh, just from camp. That's a that's a spot that they are gravitate to in January, kind of winter food source. Um, so we had that inch of snow and some cold weather I actually sent Bill in there. There was no sign, but that was a lot of ferns. These deer will paw up and eat the ferns and the cherry trees. I even found them does eating the moss off the right around the bottom of these cherry trees. And but ferns is a big thing. And I seem, if I feel like right, right around mid November is when they start transitioning um, and start eating them ferns and then it all depends on the weather i don't know why but i've seen a button buck last year i was up in a tree coming he stuck his head in a hole where the doe pulled or deer pulled through the snow the night before and he was just eating these ferns and he come prancing through the woods he couldn't wait it was like these are healthy deer and it was in january like eight inches of snow and these spring seeps and these ferns i've never seen them it's not the christmas ferns not like the dark green ones they're like plasticky i don't know there's a it's like a thinner like but they hit they'll pull them ferns up and i don't really know if there's an actual name for that type of fern i'm sure there's a lot of varieties but he was just eating it like and he stuck his head there was these other two doe came snuck up on him and he was so focused he had his head buried down a hole just eating ferns loving life so it's just crazy that that these deer are that healthy but yeah um like the tea bearing the brows the blackberry briars um maple leaves they, they eat a lot of maple leaves or leaves in general um but yeah i start seeing them transition a little more into the thermal cover out of the wind and you know it's usually the steeper slopes to where they don't have to paw through all that flat layer of snow it's more of a hillside and um they use the gravity kind of face uphill and, and paw but they eat them ferns and you know the and i've seen other roots at certain times in hemlocks that they eating some type of root it's dirt there's no ferns around so it's pretty amazing 
that they got healthy and that's what they're eating. You know, it almost seems like there's nothing there. I mean, there's a lot of green stuff in that area, but, um, but there is a transition into a winter mode, um, to where they're focusing more on, um, the ferns and in tight to the thermal cover, some open areas, South flat, not even South North facing slopes. I've seen them. I don't see these deer really getting bothered by the snow till you get to about the two foot of snow, eight, 18 inches of snow. Don't bother them. You know, they'll somewhat break trail. Um, but with them long legs, um, it seems like you get in around 20, 24 inches of snow. It really, um, hinders them where they might herd up and just really in a tight area. But, um, I've seen them, you know, on them open and sometimes them ferns are out of the, uh, thermal cover, you know, it's on more of a, um, regular hardwood area. Um, but yeah, they do transition up there and I never seen it anywhere else that they ate them ferns like that. It's just pretty remarkable, but that's our, to me, that's our main food source. And I, when I'm shed hunting up there, I want to find, so actually, one side of the road is all a lot of ferns a lot of scratch it's actually a flat area not all hillsides you know and every year i don't find any horns out some pile of does and then the other side of the road i'll find just half as much sign or a little less and that's when you get to feeling it's a couple bucks one or two bucks and that's and they kind of like after so many years i hunted that area i find where they i have a few places in mind that i'm going to find a buck it's just them certain areas they go to in the winter, um, you know, and it has that thermal cover and they're scratching and feeding on them ferns. Or if, if you get a crust, you know, um, they will eat a, whatever browse, woody stuff. Um, but it seems like there's not so much of that up to 18, 20 inches. They're, they're going to dig through and get to them ferns. And like I said, that's when sometimes they'll use the slope, use the gravity on a steep slope so they don't have to paw as hard. It just falls down the hill. Um, but yeah. So do you find areas where let's say your ideal scenario then might be a hillside that's got some thermal cover and got a bunch of ferns growing. Maybe there's like a, you know, Creek seepage or something on the side of the hill. That'd be like a spot you could look at driving past, or maybe you see it on the map and you're like, okay, I bet I can go up there and maybe some, find some deer sign. But do you find that you might have some of those quote unquote ideal case scenarios too, where there's just not, not any sign and you just got to you know, do some walking to find out what's good and what's not. So in that area, it is more the thermal covers down low out of the wind and maybe get, they go up out of it and, and then they're, uh, they're going to feed. Um, and then that's whether there's snow or not, that's, that's what it is. But, you know, in the different parts of the state country, there, there are places where, you, you know, if it's a, if a mass situation, um, so I was hunting Ohio this year just recently and there was no mast. Um, and it's great if you're a public land hunter, cause most of it is your hardwoods and different parts of the state to have a good mast of what carries over into winter. And, um, I always tell people to look for, get out there and walk. Cause you don't, I mean, even though you can read the maps and see, there might be a Oak flat or hillside. Um, you have to see if they produced and see what's left. Cause the deer might have been feeding on it all, all year, or maybe there was an ag they were really hitting. And then, um, you know, there might be. Um, some still some acorns left in the forest and what you might be able to get on and, but make, make sure like, if you see just one, eight, you want to see like them broken open, you see some meat in it, or you see where the deer's nose has been pushing through the leaves and feeding. If you're just seeing random acorns that 
pick them up, there's probably a bug hole in them. They, they won't touch them. I don't know. I forget what it's called, but um, um, yeah, you definitely got to get out there and hike to find a food source, or maybe it might be an ag field. Um, but um, the number one thing is food. Um, so yeah, in Ohio, um, it's briars, whether it's berry briars or green briars, the deer feed on that. They'll they'll nub them off. Browse, um, and they're not going to be moving much because they're recovering from hunting season from the rut. So and you want to kind of like probe a little bit. You don't want to. To me, I don't want to just go right in. Hopefully, you have the snow that you can use the tracks to your advantage. Or if I feel like I'm going to hunt somewhere late season, I'll get a handful of cameras. And actually when I was down Ohio, I put the cameras on a flat that didn't have oaks. And then I left and I'm like, why did I do that? I said this, I'm going to catch a deer, maybe crossing that flat. I needed to be on maybe a, maybe a South facing slope. And, and it seemed like the majority of the food down there was like a, a green briar, or I actually found them really feeding heavy on beach, beach hmm. nuts. People don't think of that. And there's, it seemed like they were spread out through the forest and on the lower elevations. And I was walking this long Creek bottom and I know there's no acorns on the tops. And I was trying to access my hunting spot and you come out and you could see, and they're going to feed on the e the easiest spot first. They're not going to feed a beech tree or an oak tree on a cliff. You know, that's their last resort or near a road. I even found one year that the, I found acorns. I actually just hiked a whole forest and looking for acorns. And I found, so only certain trees were producing and the ones way up on a hill away from the road uh, got eaten first. And then there was a patch, a little ravine up along the road, like right off the road. And there was acorns there. And I said, I dropped cameras there. I said, man, this is going to be the last. And it was the last spot that they, after they fed on all the acorns in the forest. So the next time I come down to check my camera, I drove by the road. It was like 60 or a couple bucks right there. Cause, um, they don't want to be by the road, but I mean, that's where the food is. They're going to have to go to that. But yeah, the, you know, um, they're going to feed where they want to and get the easy pickings, whether it's up on a flat first, you know, and then if they have to go buy a road or buy a house, um, or like I said, the beech nuts that I found were on the bottom along. So the trees were on the steep hillside, but they were dropping them on a flat. And then I looked up the hillside and I seen um, beech trees on the steep hillside, but they weren't why would you try to eat on that cliff? You know, you're better off like just you in general. I mean, you're going to sit down in a nice, easy spot and eat here, not try to sit on the side of a cliff and eat. But I mean, when it comes to that, they'll be there. So I'm always keeping you know, and they're, they're going to be feeding on whatever mast is there throughout the season. So whatever's left and, you know, and it's getting less and less as the season carries on. Um, unless it's a, you know, like a bumper year, or like I said, they're eating ag somewhere and they're going to be up on, they have other food, main food source, you know, you can get, you can, there's still a lot of food on a flat. I mean, there's a lot of late seasons. Like, so if I find acorns, it's a great bumper year acorns. I'm like, yes, cause I want to hunt public ground and, and they're going to be feeding on it pretty hard. So I do really good when I do find the mast, you know, um, in other parts. So the place in PA doesn't have a mast right. crop. Um, it's browse. So yeah. And the, yeah. the browse, I imagine, obviously they're much more spread apart. And if like when we were out there, there was places where you'd walk and there wouldn't be that much like browse on the ground compared to other places, maybe a quarter mile away, the forest looked the same, but there'd be browse there. And so it was yeah. like, unless you could, like, you could probably see the deer sign and see the tracks and stuff in the snow late season and figure that out. If there's no snow, 
that sounds like it'd be a lot harder versus, you know, perhaps in an area where you got masked, it might be like, maybe you've gone the early season, you can take notes like, oh, there's a lot of acorns up on this ridge this year. And then, like you said, if they, if there is ag nearby and you think the deer are hitting the ag throughout the season and just leaving those acorns be, okay, well maybe now those acorns are going to become a better source now that, you know, it's late season and they've already been maybe consuming a lot of what that field had to offer. Mm-hmm. And then even, you know, hunters, it depends, maybe hunters are keeping them in the woods, you know, maybe they're going to the ag late or earlier in the year, they would hit it earlier. And so when they're up in a forest, uh, they're probably going to be, they have to go, uh, they're going to eat to me throughout the day. You're going to feed on them acorns. So like an all day sit and in like late season, I don't like getting out there till about eight or nine and let the, but that's not a rule of thumb. It's, it's like, um, there's times when it was warm and I would get in there before daylight, but there's also times it was cold. It's all dependent on what your herd is doing. If you, if you learn about them, um, if you know where deer aren't pressured and, you know, it's kind of an idea where they're feeding. I like to get, it seems like before daylight, they're usually just bedded up. And then, you know, um, they might get up and start milling around 10, 11 as the sun comes up. I feel like they move more when the sun is warmer and they, I feel like they conserve their, they bed and conserve when the weather's the coldest kind of huddle up. It doesn't huh. sap as much. Um, so I feel like they like to feed in that midday range. Um, especially if they're kept out of the, the ag and that, but I feel like there's a lot of, like, as opposed to like other times of the year, yeah, the rut midday, as long as they're not, as long as they're actively seeking does, you know, midday is great, but I think midday is your time to hunt, you know, make it like a three quarters of a day hunt to where you get out about eight, not like nine sun starts coming up and feel like deer um, start getting up and milling around and feeding you know, one to two and you want to be set up and, and, and then be, be ready for when they're going to feed. And, but like I said, you want to probe around and kind of film out. Don't ruin it right off the bat. Um, if you know where they are, but you're just trying to find a good setup, um, you might want to definitely use it. And, and if you could use the snow to your advantage, see where they're, you know, and you could put two and two together, say, you know, like last year I was in Ohio and, um, uh, there was an inch of snow and I went up on a flat and, um, it looked like the deer had a party on that flat. They were feeding, um, middle of the night, you know, but you, you know, I, I wouldn't set on that flat cause I knew just by how the, um, the weather, how the snow, when the snow fell and how the weather changed the snow throughout the day into the night, you know, whether it was frozen, you can kind of judge how old the tracks are. And, and, and it was kind of a warm day and snow was melt like the snow was melting. So it wasn't like, um, the tracks were, they were kind of fresh there from that night. You know what I mean? You yeah, can yeah. kind of just tell how erosion and heat and time worked that track. You can judge, you know, like even sometimes I'll make a foot, a track and I'll, I'll go back an hour later and I'll see what it looks like there's all different types of snow. There's dry snow, there's wet snow, then the weather heats up. And if you can get good at judging um, a track and when it was made, that could really help you decide when that deer was feeding in that area. And, you know, if he's heading off this way, you keep and cover whether there, there's areas that don't have a lot of cover, it might be just a south slope to get some heat. Um, but you can kind of like, you 
generally they want cover, but if there isn't, they, they can hide out in the open. You know, if there's enough deer around them to, to as like a uh, like a domino effect, if one gets bumped, it'll bump the other ones. Or um, if there's enough topo and it's rugged, that they could um, use that to their advantage. Um, but you could kind of guess where the deer are going to go to bed for the day. They're not going to be far if they're feeding here at night. Um, so last year I was, I was hunting in Iowa late season and I, there was a small piece of public and the snow was down and I, I, uh, had a 150 class on my camera and I, I run in there and grab that camera and I did a big circle pretty much encompassed that piece of land. I think it was only like 80 acres or something but I wanted to find his track and see if he was actually spending a lot of time in that land. So the picture was probably from three days previous that he come through. Did he yeah. randomly come through? Or he actively live in there. So, so I'd given him, so when the picture was taken, this is three, four days later and I did a circle and I never found his track. I mean, you could look at it like, Oh, maybe he'll come through here again. Or I was looking at it like maybe he, he was on a move, maybe got pushed through and it was in a wide open woods. There just wasn't enough for me to sink my teeth into to say, now if I did that circle around her and I seen his tracks everywhere, that means, and I'm looking at a time, like a hunting time frame is like four to five days I have to hunt. So I can't just hope that someone pushed him. Maybe hopefully he'll come through here again. You got to get something kind of solid that, you know, you know, get that something, get a good angle on that animal to where, Hey, I feel like he's living here. His tracks are, he's actively in here. You know, I feel like that deer was a passer through. Um, so yeah, just kind of, there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a story out there being told and you just got to be able to read it and interpret what's going on. But the biggest thing in late season is that the food and, and, and security cover or bedding is the two things that they're going to be really keen in on. Um, but yeah, like I say, you can kind of probe around, just kind of, maybe you want to set up one evening you know he's there maybe you want to set up get to everything you don't want to you really don't want to ruin it you know um yeah not your you first wanna, set especially you want to get on it yeah so it, it seems like i don't know if it's just coincidence but it seems like the last couple of years haven't been good snow years in december i feel like last mm -hmm. year we hardly got any snow until like february and then we got a bunch but yeah. you know like you said there's so much that you can learn with with tracks in the snow. And I remember one time growing up hunting in Wisconsin and I'd be walking like a mile and a half into this cattail swamp to get to this, this area. And I was just trying to shoot a doe at that particular year. And then two days in a row, when I'm walking out there, I see fresh doe tracks in my boot tracks. And it's like, okay, well that deer's passing through, mm -hmm. you know, sometime after when I had walked in in the morning to access and so then I just decided to set up there, you know, basically the following day and, and shot a doe. And so it was yeah. like, just by kind of figuring out like, okay, well, you know, this is pretty obvious just based on what the snow was telling you. It was more valuable information. I probably would even been able to get with a trail camera because I wouldn't have thought to put a trail camera there in the first place. Um, so really hoping we get some more, some more snow this year. Especially I do. And I really, depend, I, I really depend on that snow. It really tells you a story and, there's times I've cleared the leaves away and see if a track's in there or, or you can even use the rain to a certain degree. Um, cause the deer can, especially if it's a heavy rain, I've, I've tracked deer on a heavy rain where it just mats them leaves down and, um, it kind of makes a clean slate over the forest. If you get 
it just breaks the leaves down. They're kind of flat, heavy, wet, and you can kind of see the deer. But, you know, hopefully late season that rain is snow. Um, but, yeah, in, in years that you don't – it is a lot tougher because then they don't – they could still tend to be nocturnal. And, you know, your uh, your warmer t- your warmer time is, is during the day, but it's not enough to make them – Not to force them in the up. day. Yeah, force them. They, they don't have to. They'd still be a nocturnal, and I've done that for years. Just the weather isn't on your side, the temperature, and and they're just almost like back to their maybe an October type deal to where they're still nocturnal, and you're, you know, and it's it can be really tough. It can really make or break your season, the the, the weather, you know. And I'm always before I go to a different state, I'm always watching the weather. And there's times I'll be in this state, and I'm like, man, I got to get up there. Snow's coming. I like to wait to two two days. Sometimes if you uh, the, Sometimes if you get a heavy storm, a lot of wind, trees cracking, I've seen that and it just makes deer antsy, especially if you're in around, you know, a gun season and they've been pressured. I've, I've seen deer just hike, man. They're just on a move. They're just afraid. They can't sit still. Um, but then it seems like after you get that snowstorm, if you got a day or two days, let them put their tracks down and show, show you where they're at and where they're living and hanging. Um, and then, use that to your advantage i haven't seen a lot of states um if the doe population's high they're still hitting scrapes after a snow looking for trying to cover all them does that that might not be there or a younger one so that's always an option um but i've also seen bucks use them does to their advantage and and send them kind of like be on a back burner let them does and a lot of people want to hunt like an ag field to where you could actively see deer feeding but um People have been hunting that edge of that ag field all year, and and the does probably encountered or smelled humans there. You know, um, the the bucks, the does might come out. They'll be antsy, but then bucks still steal. They won't come out. They'll stay in a forest. You know, they're just they don't take chances with their lives. You know, so yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And on on the track thing, I guess the one the one thing I have seen that's work somewhat is if we get a good frost then it's like if you're in there like right in the morning before the frost kind of burns off i've seen where like you can see just enough of an imprint in the frost where you can tell yep. that there is deer moving through over the last you know however many hours since the frost started to, to freeze up um but then it's like if you, if you can't get in there in that first couple hours and that's gone um so yeah i'm really really hoping that that's the case and you mentioned you mentioned late season iowa i have a tag for that this year and the place I'm planning on going is the same place we did some turkey hunting and a little bit more hilly region. Um, definitely a lot of oaks and a lot of ag. So that time of year, I couldn't tell like what oak trees had mast versus which ones didn't. Um, but a lot of those hillsides, they'd be choked down in certain areas with, with, uh, I believe just a bunch of buckthorn. And I think the buckthorn carries its leaves a little bit longer than most other trees do. And obviously cedars, are, are still going to be green that time of year. Do you consider cedars to be a good form of like thermal cover or what do you, when yeah. you look for thermal cover, what's, what's kind of what comes to mind for you? Yeah. I mean, definitely that gives them a horizontal and downward thermal cover like in Iowa and even Ohio and different States that have that cedars. It's just definitely a, a place that deer are going to bed. That That's a big thing. Not saying it won't be in a CRP or, or whatever it might be on you know? a, I mean, I've seen them with enough deer in an open. If you get a piece of Iowa that has a lot large deer population, not every deer is going to be in the cedars, but I've seen them 
on them south-facing slopes just cover the whole forest, strung out. You can't even get into them. You can't even hunt the deer because the population's up in some of them areas. I know they've been hit by EHD, and it kind of brought the population. It was almost like strength in numbers, you know, and the buck would be in the middle and all the deer around. But definitely, yeah, find some cedars. I haven't seen them nip on them cedars and feed on them cedars. Well, what it was was last year there was a heavy-duty uh, ice three inches of ice on the ground um and they no, no no deer were paul couldn't paw through it i've seen them could barely break through it um or i've seen them actually feeding on the cedars as an only green thing um so if you have some, a situation like that that might be something to key in on but as far as the thermal cover yeah that um start there and as long as there's not pressure you know hopefully you can see tracks in there or, or rubs and um, hopefully you don't see any human sign them because i've seen deer go um some deer in case if there is no uh, mast where they could be in that cedar thicket all day and might travel a half a mile to a mile to a pick cornfield and feed and come back at night. So um, um, in that case, I would maybe set up some cameras around that cedar thicket, catch them coming in and out, you know, to see if that's the actual case. But cameras can be a big help when you don't have any um, snow on the ground. Yeah. A bunch of cameras, even if you check them, like I said, like, in the middle of, you know, maybe eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night where he's already out surround that place and have a pile of cameras and surround it and see where he's coming out and coming in at. And if he is, or what bucks are there. And maybe if you got a little daytime activity to me, that tells me the pressure ain't too extreme that maybe he's also leaving at daylight, you know, but, um, definitely on a year where there is no snow, probably you really depend on them cameras and then don't, don't, think you think a deer is going to walk this way so we're going to place a camera guess what you're probably 30 percent right because you know how they just wander through the woods so put one face in the other direction and the other direction to really try to cover all bases because it seems like they just go through the woods up over and it's never on a trail it's rarely them short deer if that's what you're hunting for on a trail they're just kind of moving through warfare is a little browse um maybe a clear cut or just some um whatever might be out there, you know, where he could feed, um, get in that. But, um, like, and the pressure is a big thing too. Hopefully there's times I've been on public ground to where it seems like no, where the pressure's there. And it's just like either a deer run out of there or the ones that are there, the yearlings, the, the spikes or the does and the fawns, even the mature does don't even want to be hampered by the hunters. You know, you start, seeing them small deer tracks but then again i've seen it where if you get a high deer dense the high buck to doe where the does are maybe outnumber the bucks and that's where a buck might want to go to if the young ones are going to get to a certain body weight they'll, they'll come into heat you know so that's a, something to keep in mind if they are but for the most part when you see them young deer and and tracks and it it, it seems like the bucks ain't there because they they they're not they're a little bit smarter and and they'll kind of the younger deer will tolerate more of a hunting pressure to where them bigger ones won't even be be in the area but then i'm not saying if a doe's in heat maybe find some scrapes it might be a a spot you know to go to but um yeah set them cameras up and so you see if you can catch catch an animal because um i like knowing what's there you know not to just pick a place and so have six eight places in mind maybe ten and and know what's living there and then then start planning a hunt because sometimes you would think like 
um, yeah, this is the thermal cover. This is that just by looking at a, a map or something. And you, you, there's times I've thought like I knew how the deer were going to travel and they, they use it in a completely different manner. You know, sometimes you got to learn the deer in that area, how they move and how they utilize that area. And it's not always how you think, like you would think they use it, you know, but, um, use them cameras, you know, and there's what, what I've done on different States when I was hitting different piece of public land, I'd, I'd let them soak, um, two to three days and I'll run and grab them and, you know, use the snow or what, you know, and see, but make sure I'm covering enough area. Don't depend that time of year. If you only got six days, eight days to hunt, don't depend on one camera in one spot. Yeah. Unless yeah. It's heavy feeding area. If you're, if you're thin on, um, food and it's more spread out, put a bunch of cameras out and, you know, and, try to connect the dots and try to figure out what's going there. And even have to go in at nighttime and check in cameras, you know? Yeah. Um, my, my thought is that it's likely an area where there's not a shortage of food. And I think just like you said before, I, you won't know for sure until you're actually seeing it. But by looking at the map and just by walking a Turkey season, like there's, there's certain hillsides like, okay, they're probably going to bed here late season because it's good thermal cover, Southern slope, like whatever. And there's, there's food and you know, very hard to gun hunt it because of how thick it is. And so it just seems to make sense. And you get some of those flats that are a little bit thicker, but I mean, you got ag on top, you got ag on the bottom, you got acorns up on the hillsides, you got probably buckthorn leaves that are still in the trees. So I feel like it might almost be one of those scenarios where, and again, maybe some of the ag fields are just going to be dead and some other ones are going to be dynamite. Maybe it'll be feeding on browse, but I feel like there's probably there's probably enough food sources where if I just want to put cameras on food, I could put out 50 cameras, you know, and obviously that's like more time investment in camera running than I would have. But, um, I'd probably, I would guess it's going to have to be a combination of cameras and just walking. And hopefully there's going to be enough snow for me to help inform where's going to be the highest odds place to even start putting those cameras. Yeah. And, um, like I said, pressure is a big thing. If guys have been pounded at and go, you don't know. And I used to go out before, I would go out before gun season and drop cameras just to see where the hunters are. And there's places that look dynamite. You go to, but you read the sign, the scrapes, the rubs there. This is dynamite. And then you got guys on your camera just ramboing through it because it's it's uh, late late shotgun and then muzzleloaders the next day. And that's when you're gonna be out there and it just just they just ruin the woods. You know it looks good. That's one thing I like about the challenge of public land is. You read the sign, but you, you don't know the, the unknown variables, the hunt pressure. How's it, what's it doing to the deer in that area, you know, to where it might create, create, or make them nocturnal. And some of them ag fields, if they disc it, um, or if they inject the chicken shit, the deer, I rarely see them feeding on that. So you want to actively see some beans and, and, you know, fresh deer shit, and, um, even whether it's the corn, you know, make sure there's some food. Don't just assume there's food there just because it's a cornfield or it's been yeah. picked like that. You know, make sure they're actually feeding in those areas. But I think the biggest thing is pressure. If you eliminated the hunt pressure anywhere, it'd be a no-brainer. Just read the sign, and you'd be everybody killed deer. But that's the biggest thing that's going to affect them deer and how they're going to survive. Um, it might even be to where maybe he's on a you get a fence row where he maybe he's bedding or feeding on the private and. Maybe you got to get near that, and I even seen them use live on the private and use the a southwest wind, and then come feed on the public, but totally use that wind. And sometimes you could play the edge of that wind, just barely, barely get out of their scent stream, and you know you can catch them 
you know, I've seen them just use their that southwest wind to send check the whole public ground and just lay on damn near watch it and smell it. You know, maybe you can get an off wind or um, maybe catch them. I've even got to point where I'd go in before daylight and catch them coming up or maybe coming through the public, maybe going to bed to the um, private for the day. So, um, and so there's many situations, Garrett, not just like, okay, hunt, John said hunt from nine to 10 too, but there's times I've gotten a forest before daylight an hour just to catch them at that daylight, you know, coming through the public, going to bed for the day and their last little bit of meal in the ag field or whatever on that private, whether it's a acorn flat or whatever to get to them cedars or wherever they might be going. Um, you can catch them. And, um, I even done it where I plowed through the snow and it was crunchy and before daylight and, um, thinking I spooked everything, but I've actually walked up on those, um, bedded, um, before daylight and, they just like kind of looked at me if I would have walked in there hour before dark, two hours before dark, they would have been in the next county and they would have told the rest of the deer. Um, but then watch where you park, watch how you slam your door. Um, take that into consideration. But then again, the one year I was hunting, I had, it was January and I parked on a bend. There was only really one pull off. And as I was getting my gear together, it was a warm and it's indifferent. It was a warm, but I've seen them even in a cold climates early in the morning not that's the only time they're not pressured um you know people want to be hunting in the afternoon and the evening so you want to do the off stuff but i've seen them that there's times i've seen them in the morning coming through forest and they're fighting and browsing and like having a field day having a good old time because they're not used to seeing humans everybody wants to hunt the evening Mm -hmm. that one year i was getting out of my jeep get my gear on and i heard 100 yards away i thought someone was rattling I said, there's deer fighting over there a hundred yards from me. And, um, I said, there's nobody. It was actually a warm year. Probably only, it was probably 40 degrees, probably an hour or so before daylight. And I got set up and I shot a buck, um, that morning. I think he was one of the ones that were fighting. His horns were all broke up. I had a picture of him with his horns and he, he broke a brow, but, um, there was nobody else. He come from right where that fighting was. You know, I went and got set up that morning. So, there's something to be said about the off times, you know, and people always talk about hunt pressure, but when is the pressure, you know, during the hunting season or evening when most of the people day evenings, when most of the people hunt late season, for instance, if you're going to Iowa, a lot of there, I rarely see a vehicle before daylight parked along a piece of public ground. So that, that tells you something there that, uh, that they feel safe being in that public, maybe right at daylight. No one's around. They, that's, I've walked up on, you know, so it's just like, it really turns off, you know, like maybe during a rut, someone parked before daylight. I don't think that buck would be there. Maybe when he's riding out of his mind, but I don't, I don't think he'd be there in the woods fighting to hear that car and he'd be on alert because he's used to maybe it's all association. You know, if he associated I'm a year with seeing humans and having an issue with humans, then he's going to react a certain way. But if it's that time of year, I'd say, that time of year, he's probably never seen a human in a forest before, an hour before light, or smelled one. So he's four years old, and he's just kind of like, eh, I never see him, you know. And it is with pressure, like I say about hunting private land and public land. You know, if you take a piece of private land and you don't ever, 
pressure the animals and you just bring them out to your ag or whatever your food plot and you don't go in there and cover then the longer you go without nothing they associate that association that they never see humans they go out to the field they come out of their cover they don't see them and everything's hunky-dory then you're sitting up in a you know blind and you smoke them you know but um so it's kind of the same deal if they never get spooked that time of year mm-hmm. you're gonna fill out your deer herd you know it t- might take a few years but um have a lot of spots in mind don't just put all your eggs in one basket um read the sign uh put drop your cameras first thing or go if you can Gary, get out there before gun season i think i used to go in between a gun season i think it was a day to where uh i, I was able to be in the woods um because I, I had my license and and there was actually um no hunting it was in between the gun seasons or was it bef- right before the gun season i think i'd gone out and dropped a bunch of cameras just to see then see what's left over you know you're going into a january hunt that's just anywhere in the state what deer are left where do you um after are you after uh, a, a legal buck or you have 140 inch deer or what are you looking for is he still alive did he get killed so that's another thing you got to figure out after the gun season is what's there to hunt um are you going to just hope for something and I always want to know what's there, what I'm hunting. So that's why I'll try to put the cameras out. Like for instance, Ohio and even here, PA, I'm going up and I'm going to check my cameras that have been there. I like to have cameras to see what's there, see what's left over, see where they're hiding. Bear season was in in PA and it really kind of starts aggravating the deer. Bear season in the gun season to where they're going to, to me, push them in the areas where they're these four, five, six, seven, eight year old deer are going to live for the next three, two, three weeks from bear season and the gun season. And, um, that's how they're surviving. So I want to find them spots. And so, yeah, you got to know what's in your area to hunt. Um, so, so, yeah. so with the, I mean, obviously the, the preparation is super important. So when you're going out and you're, you're putting out some of these cameras to recheck inventory and you're putting them out, let's say like between the gun seasons, during gun season, after like whatever you have the time to do it. And, you know, I would imagine like for you, you obviously got to travel a long ways if you're going on an out of state trip like that. Mm-hmm. But like, even for me, I can get down there in a few hours. It's not the end of the world. Like if I wanted to check cameras at night, feasibly, if I didn't want to sleep, I could drive down there, check cameras overnight and be back in the next morning. Um, yeah. but my question is how much are you being careful in terms of like where you're walking or where your scent is blowing while you're doing those inventory checks and while you're scouting and looking for tracks, are you just like saying, okay, I'm going to stay out of those places. I think there's a bedding area, but I need this Intel. So I'm going to go check this camera, even though my scent's going to blow past where I think those deer might be bedding. Yeah, that that's an important thing. Gerard. Use your judgment. If, you know, you don't want to, like when I was down in Ohio, there was a couple areas. And I think that's why some of the cameras I dropped one off because I didn't want to get into where they were bedding too much or where I thought maybe they were. So I just kind of lined the edges where I would catch them crossing, but that, you know, you can all, then you use your timestamp when they're crossing, they're coming up out of here at this bedding area. You know, they were there all day. Um, you know, as far as a nighttime thing, you know, I got my rubber boots on, try not to touch any limbs with your head and this and that. Um, but, um, if you're on public ground, they already live with humans and they know they're there. I said, you know, sometimes they say they could judge on when a piece of scent was laid down. I don't, I don't know, but like I said, then you look at a buck that, you think he's going to walk this way and he just randomly walks through the woods. So as far as walking on trails, I'll, I'll walk on a deer trail. Don't bother me. Cause I think all the deer, they're going to 
does and fawns anyways and and it's like how do you even get into some of them areas with high deer concentration how do you even get in the forest we would you have to get maybe a pair of stilts you know so you ain't touching the ground but um yeah then so if you're going to check sometimes if, if you kind of an idea when the deer are coming in and out of them them bedding areas um you know and that's why i say probe maybe sometimes during a daytime to where hey i can get into that camera because it, it's not in a bedding area or it's not in a feeding area it's on a fringe you want to also hang them carry take that that's a good question to have that uh going through your mind when you are placing them cameras you don't just want to go blow through right in the heart of his bedding area maybe you want to saddle put it around and watch the wind you know um but there's are times where you know you just need to get that intel but for the most part yeah you want to take into consideration where the deer are you know and then um place your cameras accordingly you know if they're in that bed or or if you catch them going to that ag field you lie on that edge you know oh i caught them coming back in here before daylight you know oh good good um but try to i try to watch i do try to walk in areas if it's during the daytime where i feel like i'm not going to bump the deer maybe it's a flat and the wind's right i could i could i could walk here safely you know but i think it's you have to fill the area out Gradually, you're not going to be walking through a cedar thicket. You're not going to be walking through his prime bedding, bedding cover, clear cuts, and maybe some open woods and, and uh, fringes of cover and, and watch, you know, watch. The, but then again, when it comes to, if you got something in the heart of that area, that's when I'll go in at nighttime. Usually, I feel like 8 o'clock at night where they're already up and moving and just go, go get it. What are you going to do? You know, that's his security. He's there for a reason, you know, even if he... You know, maybe some gun hunter come and pushed that out, and he rubbed his scent all over the tree. But he lives with humans, this buck, and, and he's going to know how to get away from them, even if they are in this cover. You know, so that is a that's important to, to kind of know where to walk if it's during a daytime, and where to have the cameras that you can access. Um, and there are also times I, if I feel strongly enough about a spot, I'd actually hunt as a form of scouting. You know, I I got enough. I feel like I got enough on my side. I got a good angle on that animal to where I can maybe tracks. The tracks are here. I can maybe hang a camera and hunt. And if you feel like you get to that point, have a couple, say you got two or three stands and I put them cameras right around my stand. Okay. He's coming through. He's here, you know, um, but they're all good. So it's a lot of scouting, but it makes it tough when you only got maybe four, five days to hunt. And like I said, last year when I went to Iowa, threw a big curveball because they had two inches of ice in through January. And it was legit. I could barely walk through it and fall through it. And it just really, oh, not something. And then there was a weird east wind. And just like, wow, I wasn't ready for all this. You know, it threw the deer off and, and um, threw me off. But so I kind of, the spots, the few spots I had, I kind of feel like the deer weren't, there was no mast because it was all buried under the ice and it was just like, man, in another year, the previous year, it was great, you know? So that's, what's fun about it. There's always something you got to figure out. It's a never ending game that you're playing, you know, um, whether it's the hunting pressure or the food or the weather or all the things you got to take into consideration when you're out there. That's what I, I like about it, especially if you got a limited time to do it, you know, if you just got like six, seven days to hunt, which really ain't a lot. Yeah. Um, try to get cameras out beforehand and have a bunch have, I mean, that's probably the best thing you can help you have a bunch of them, but you're going to hang them up in a tree, see how the pressure is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's fun trying to figure out and that makes it that much better when you when you do the work you did paid off and you harvested deer i mean there's people when there's instances where you can just go sit in the same tree where you know if you sit here long enough um a deer is going to come by but sometimes i'd rather know my herd and know know that i made this move and i harvest this deer because of what i learned not just i sat here seven eight days and eventually he walked through kind of like a hope you know like mm-hmm. i'm not geared that way not saying it's be very intentional way. about it yeah to where i i made all this happen and i figured these animals out and i harvest this deer that way not just because i know there's spots if i sat there for seven eight days and just waited for a deer to come through but I wouldn't know about the herd. I wouldn't know what's going on just to know that he's going to eventually come through here. You know, it's during the rut. Sometimes that's the way to do it. But, um, cause that is a time of the year that it just a lot of randomness and weird stuff happens. And maybe it's a funnel and he's going to come through there, you know, and, and that's sometimes why I don't like to rut. Cause it's just like a little bit of luck involved. I don't really believe in luck. You're there for a reason, but still it's just like in time, he's going to come by where late season, it's more of a, a game that you're playing you know that you can master you, you harvest that animal so but that's just me you know have you ever like if in that scenario where you say you you know you go in maybe after you think the buck the bucks have gotten out of their beds and they've gone to food and now you got free roam of those you know bedding and transition areas do you ever go into a spot like that and cut a big track and then follow that track back to where that buck was bedded that afternoon and then just sit just sit right over it and wait for him to come back in the morning um, not so much. I think, um, there's times I've should have, I, I should have, I know one instance in Pennsylvania deer and I would go every morning before daylight and there was fresh snow every night and he'd come out, um, onto the road and fed along the road then went back in the forest like two nights in a row. And I, in the third day, I should have just before daylight went way back and waited for him, you know, but I don't know why my brain wasn't thinking that way, but that's, that's probably what I should have did, you know, got in there. Cause, and then there was a crunchy snow and I couldn't even track him in, um, from the night before, like the next morning, he would, I would have just blown him out there. But yeah, if you can, um, find him and, and learn that, you know, track him ba- backwards, you know, find where he's bedding in, in, get in there before daylight i think it was that that area was a little more vast to where i thought it was more a little bit of a coincidence mm-hmm. you know but, but and what it was i think maybe the second day when i pulled him i actually went in tried tracking him and i blew him out of there i think i don't know if maybe i didn't have another day to hunt but that's a good scenario if, if you know he's feeding an area and bed in an area just get in there before daylight, whether you got to be on the ground, stay warm and then get up in a tree. And if it's a, like a condensed bedding area, not, not so much a bigger flat, but, um, maybe it's a, or a bigger area, whether it's South slope or what it is, you, he might be bet Like he's going to still stew around in that bedding area throughout the morning. But he might not come to that exact bed necessarily. If it's a bigger bedding area, it's a bigger area. You can kind of get in, close you know and and when the maybe the at, at nine in the morning and just hunt it as he stays moves through there during the day but i mean if the snow's down that's that's the ticket to where um yeah don't be afraid like 
it's how bad do you want it? You know what I mean? Are you, I could scout all night with a headlamp and not bother a deer in my opinion and learn where the beds are and this and that. Um, but we're so focused on hunting during the daytime, you know, that and usually at night you're kind of resting and getting ready for the next day. But I mean, that, that's a great, um, point to just go out at night and, and have your free range of the woods and hike all through there. There's coon hunters out there. There's, you know, people, yeah, it's like, things happen at night that you don't know about dogs running deer. I mean, go out there and find, follow that sucker, work, work him backwards, see where he's at and, um, find his beds, maybe a couple bucks, hang a set, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, you know, people don't ever think of that. There's times I went to places as nine, 10 o'clock at night and I just showed up and I told my buddy, I gotta go. That's why I like hunting myself a lot because I do things that when I go with my buddies or like at the vet hunt, I'm, you know, you're hanging out. Oh, you're, you don't get to see people. So it's not really, I'm pretty nuts when it, that's why usually I hunt myself because I, I'm always thinking all day into the night. And then it's like, I eat, I'm like, well, I'm going to go out tonight and follow deer tracks, drive the roads, check cameras. But like when, when you're hunting with a couple guys that are maybe have some sanity and <laughs> have a beer at night and hang out and eat. But when I'm by myself, I could do my dumb stuff that people like this guy's nuts, but that's what you need to do if, if you get to that point, you know. And now that I am a little older and I've shot a fair amount of good deer, it's I'm still a little bit insane, but not so much for the 140s. And I enjoy hunting, but if it was like 170, I I you know I haven't had one in a while that I wanted to chase 60, 70 class that I would be that person and focus on it. Now sometimes like sometimes I like hanging out. I've shot enough deer, and it's, it's trying to just enjoy that time of year you know I, I don't have all that drive as the younger guys yeah you know haven't shot the 30s like you you guys you know Garrett you you know what I mean it's like I've I've been there but you know um if I get the right animal that is big enough that I can focus on it it'll that switch will kick on and and I'll but I still do when I like go to different states if I only got them four or five six days that um you know, it'll be, you know, I'll go out before daylight or, or after dark, check cameras, trying to get as, you know, you only have that much time. You know, if you live there with the animal, it's a big difference uh, where you live by some public ground or whatever. You, you can really know your herd, man, because you need a lot of time and it's tough when you don't live there. And even like up there at the vets hunt in that part of Pennsylvania, I know it well, but I could see how it changes from year to year. This buck moved out or there's some hunters in there. And to me, it looks so drastically different. I asked myself, how come they're not scraping here this year? How come there's no rubs? This buck was here last year, but he's not here this year. And, but things change, um, always change. And especially you go to areas that you haven't been in four or five years, how it grows, or maybe they did a clear cut or for whatever reason, maybe there's more coyotes there. And, and that's what I like about the whole thing, scouting and always being out there is always seeing how the, herd changes and and you got to hit them same spots every year as a, as maybe additional spots you know to see how things progress and, and change throughout the year you know yeah and i feel like that's one thing that for me has always made late season a little bit more challenging is you know a lot of times i don't have that place that's 15 minutes down the road i can just go check might be hour might be two hour drive to get to wherever i've been hunting for the rest of the year and then most of my pto generally has been burned up by the late season it gets dark out at 4 30 in the afternoon so it's like, 
either I go out there and maybe do some midday scouting and then hunt, you know, the Saturday, Sunday, or like what I've been doing more this year, like you said, is, you know, save some PTO days for the late season and then perhaps do some more of that scouting at night. I did more night scouting earlier this year than I have done in years past. And I felt like I learned quite a bit. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it was like, well, it's a far enough drive. The only time I can get this intel is at night, drive out after work or whatever, get there and it, like sun's just going down and then just start covering yep. miles with the headlamp and, and taking notes. You know, this scrape's opened up. This one's not um, big track in this location. And I was able to, I feel like get some more information that I wouldn't have in years past been able to get not willing to, you know, go out at night. Yeah. And then the next day it's a clean slate The bucks back in there and, he might be used to coon hunters or whatever it might be dog is just, he's going back to his daily routine. Cause that's when he's pressured. You know, if you, yeah, if you have, you know, you're, you're not going to see everything at night, but you could, could go to them spots that any other time you, you couldn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think hopefully this year that combined with, again, hopefully we get snow fingers crossed, even in like some of the Wisconsin places I've been hunting. I don't know where those deer go late season. I know because I had just haven't hunted there that much late season. Most of my yep. historical knowledge about that piece I've been hunting is either during the season, during which like mid October through early November has definitely been like the hottest time frame. Because it's kind of like up where you where you're at. Like early season, those bucks don't move much, and there's food everywhere. And it's just like kind of yep. that. Just you know, there's browse, there's clear cut, there's there's everything. Um, but then. The other piece of intel that I have is like when I do my spring scouting, February, March, where you get maybe some of that snow, but, and you can see the tracks in the snow that time of year, maybe there's eight inches of snow or whatever that you're post holing through if you get a deep spot, but then those tracks and those beds that they're leaving in March might not be the same places that they were at the end of December. Maybe the food sources have shifted. I've seen them go up and just like come up to like a, you know, a spruce tree or whatever and start chewing on the bark. And it's like, well, they're probably not that desperate in end of December. Yeah. And you find, right. you find sheds in certain spots, but it's like, was that shed drop late February or was that drop mid December? Yeah. That shed season can be difficult. Like even up PA, I, I, I don't take my, just to me, it's like Intel that that deer made it through. I mean, who knows what's going, like you said, when did he drop that shed? Where was it? Was it maybe December? Was it in February, March? Was it, it's just, just that he know you know he exists you know yeah and yeah that that December into January sometimes it's it's tough but scout more hunt less as we always say because that's what really um it's going to help you that that time of year you know um yeah so yeah and I'm trying to learn from my mistakes too last year I did a just a quick North Dakota hunt it was like four days right on the tail end of a snowstorm in fact like it snowed the first day and then the next three days it was like you know, the amount of tracks and trails that were laid down by the time I left was so much more defined than after that first day. It was like, I, you know, if I wish I'd pushed that trip, you know, three days later, <laughs> would have made mm-hmm. life a lot easier. But, uh, I felt like because the days are so short and because it was so loud for me to walk and it was so quiet, especially after that storm had passed through that I almost felt like I was being so obtrusive with my scouting because, yeah. because I just couldn't, I couldn't do it stealthily. I felt like, and so I'd end up just like looking at the map, say, I think they're betting here. I see the tracks that are heading that direction that I go set up and I'd, I'd see deer most days, but it was a lot of does. And I spent a lot of the early parts of the day looking for big buck tracks, you know, off of roads or go check this spot or that spot. 
and I actually never really even like cut a, a big buck track. And I don't know if that was just because, you know, a lot of those deer had been pushed through the rifle seasons onto private pieces and that's where they were just holding up for, for that part of the year where they had some more food. Um, but there's definitely like a lot of, you know, doe size tracks pretty much any place you looked. I mean, another thing, I, I talked to a guy, kind of a goofy guy. Um, he said, he, he said, yeah, I used to run through the woods. I said, what? But if you think about a deer and how he hears a human come through the woods, whether it's sneaking or walking, a person running through the woods, he never heard that. And, and, and he said, I run past this buck and he stood there and I run back and I shot him. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but if you think about it, it's not all that stupid because has he ever heard he's going to be more intrigued by the sound of you, you maybe the sound that he's never heard of something coming through the woods. Like you said, you tried sneaking through the woods stealthily and that he knows that's a predator and he knows what that is to where, and there's times where I've done it, not exactly run through the woods, but move through the woods fast just to get that intel, let them know you're there and make that noise and get out and then let them go back to what they're doing. You know, almost like some of the deer drives that the guys holler and scream and the bucks will move out and come back. So, it's a little bit of a different approach if you could feel your hurt out, but if people just kind of move fastly and make noise pothole and just like rip through the woods, cover a lot of ground and put a bunch of mental notes in that maybe they could just hear you go by and move back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or just, you know what I mean? Almost like play yeah, with like their... your, like your scout, your scouting mode is a, a totally different thing that your hunting mode. You, you get the Intel yet that you don't care that the deer know that you're walking through they think you're just a transient threat bypassing. They'll just wait for you to go by. And then when you actually move in for the kill, it's a totally different approach yeah, then, and mindset. And so, so like in that scenario, and like you said, you got there and it's like, how can I even scout? You know, what am I going to do? Maybe just burn that day and just run pretty much move through the woods fast, make noise, let it be known, let them be intrigued. But at that noise level, they could stand off 150 yards and listen to you go by. Okay. He's gone. Okay, let's go back to feeding. Yep. Everybody's worried about being stealthy because we are predators. To where if you don't, if you eliminate that, you know, and just go and just and just make that noise and, and let them know you're not so much of a threat. You know, this it could be something that could work in certain scenarios where you really need to get the intel and. There's really no way to do it. Just to just do it. Just go in and be obtrusive and let them hear you and comfortable with hearing you, maybe even seeing you and you move on. And then, cause they're not running any buck, you know, that you bumps, not usually running to the next hillside or mountain. Yeah. You know, I mean, if in situations where maybe it's wet, windy, maybe he'll get some distance in between you, but that type of scenario, I feel like he's going to run off and he's going to stop and wait and listen you know, so I mean that's a that's something, but them are all, but you got to fill out the scenario what you think works best in your situation, and there are so many situations you're presented with, you know. Yeah, and that that's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking too, like just projecting into you know if I go down into that like that Iowa hunt and maybe the wind's not great or maybe the snow's really crunchy, but I want to go check those cameras. It's like well maybe I just go in there, power through, get the intel. Hopefully I got those cameras in spots where they're not busting deer out of their beds. And they can just hear me go by. I get the pictures. Then I get that intel, and then I go back to hunt. Then I'm, you know, coming from different access, you know, playing the wind, doing doing things, you know, the right way. 
And if the pressure's on and it's a place where they know they they want to be there, but if there's not minimal pressure, he you might. I mean, you got to fill out the situation. He might move on. You know, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I don't have every answer. Like me and Bill were down in Ohio, and we only had two and a half days to hunt, and we and the leaves were about twelve inches thick, like crispy, and there was a call. We tried getting up in the forest because we felt we had to hunt, and I, you know, he went up the one hall, I went up there, and it was just like. You could hear Sasquatch walking through the wood. You know what I mean? It was like, was that the best thing to do? Because it was off the peak of the rut to where they weren't, you know, if you could sit there during a the rut, they would come through any time of the day, maybe from a mountain over. But we felt like maybe they were just kind of um, on the backside, maybe more the deer that one deer that i seen. He was a big 160-inch. Um, he would just come. I almost had a shot at him at 30, but he was just feeding it took him a half hour to get to me to where we felt like after a day or so of hunting that it was just like, and I heard it was maybe of a trickle rut this year. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we kind of, when you only have two and a half days to hunt, you know, maybe the, you're like, we're going to get out there early and we'll get out there before daylight. And then, and we did that. And then maybe the best thing to do would have been there. Get in after the sun came up and the wind was blowing and the birds were chirping. You can maybe, yeah sneak in a little bit you know but um you know you're always thinking you have to be out there hunting because you only got a short time but maybe it's you know that oh yeah you didn't even, I, yeah you know you feel like you're not man enough because you slept in and you didn't get up till you know what i mean like we gotta get out there before daylight you know get out there and hunt but it was like after we looked back on it bill and i were like yeah probably wasn't the best thing at heavy frost and leaves crunching he's like i seen your light 700 yards away. <laughs> <laughs> i was very like and if it wasn't a rut, I feel like we could have sat there. Deer would eventually come through because of the rut, but it was work smarter, not of, harder. It's it's uh every situation's different all times of the year, and um and we and I didn't that was a spot that we didn't have a lot of intel on. I run cameras there last year and did a little bit of hiking, and but it, as I say, usually it takes a few years to learn the area, and and you do things, you do them hunts, and and you like, oh, you look back, you learn from every mistake you make, you know. So we've learned from that situation and maybe how to approach it next year, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like your best case scenario would almost be if you had an ag type scenario where you had that, even if they're going a long ways, preferably if, you, if they're going a long ways, you get that hot ag field that they're hitting. Maybe you're the mm-hmm. only guy who's, who's actually out there that time of year hunting it. And then you got some cameras out on that food source you can check, but then like after dark when the deer are gone, you can go in and check the bedding area and mm-hmm. and they're not there. And you're, you're basically then able to get whatever intel you want, but be pretty unobtrusive. Whereas I feel like if you have, you know, a, a Pennsylvania type place or like even some of the Northern Wisconsin or Minnesota type stuff where it's like, you know, they don't necessarily have that singular food source that they're hitting. Like I might go out there at night and maybe those deer are a mile away. Maybe they're still mm-hmm. milling around a hundred yards from the bedding area and I bust them out anyway. Cause they're just feeding yeah. on browse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different situations. Then that's when like the colder weather and the thermal cover comes in horizontally and, you know, cedars. And like I said, after you get to know a place after so many years, like in Pennsylvania, I know kind of areas where, I can find bucks because it seems like they'll gravitate toward them areas. You get into January, 
thermal covers there and they're they're scratching and certain feed and maybe there's maybe bucks they've seen bucks in there when they were younger and they just knew that was the place the bucks go i don't know and then the other places the does that make it through to eight nine year old nanny does and they got their their little now maybe if you threw a bunch of different deer in there it would be different they would bed in different but that's maybe how it was growing up living in that you know what i mean yeah. like that's the hand for the bucks it's just how it is but you get to learn some of them areas so i got cameras up there and it was still like when we were up at the vet hunts a lot of them cameras were still kind of still geared like into like rotting that um to where we we're trying to get on deer and constantly putting cameras out to where the cameras that i have there are not i'm getting into gun season to where i feel like they're going to be pushed into the thicker maybe the thermal cover or something uh, where you can only see 30, 40 yards. And I didn't really set up cameras on the edges of that. Like, cause I was still stuck in rut mode and I should have trying to tag my deer then. And I should have right up to the day I, I left and come home. I was still in that mode that where I didn't think forward to gun season and maybe set up in a real heavy, thick cover, you know, camera satellite. And, but I'm going to use the Intel I got from them cameras to help me decide where maybe I could go. But then you put enough, I've put enough years into them areas and I got good bucks during the rut and I kind of have ideas of where they go during the bear season and the gun season when there's a lot of orange army out there because I kind of know where they're not because of my cameras and the places I have hunted with the gun um, over the years because I get them there with my, you know, my cameras picking them up through arch. Oh, they're still there, you know, right there and then you go hunt the heck out of them and it's like is there any deer even living here you know so and you can you can take that piece of land that you hunted and you can put it in another spot because maybe there's roads there's access you know and then you kind of look on your map you know use your spartan forge it's so clear you can kind of see the same roads and the same thing popping up to where people were accessing and then you find them little nooks in them spots to where um they are going to be, I mean, there might be three, four bucks grouped up, you know, that's why it doesn't seem like they, they disappear during gun season. Cause I'm not saying every deer, you know, um, but the, like you said, the ones that have been through a few years of hunting, you know, especially after the rut, they're just, they just want to rest and recover and stay away from humans. So, um, so when I get up to that area, I'm going to grab those cameras and spend all day, grab the cameras that I had from the rut. And I'm going to focus on, I'm going to look at the Spartan forge and find that thermal cover down in a, a good ways from access um, and maybe do a little hike through or, or saddle or, or you know, because um, it starts Saturday. I'm, I might get up. I, I'm, I'm debating whether I want to even go in there on a Friday and pick out a spot. You know, mm-hmm. um, I probably will just for the fact that there's going to be so many guys. That's what the guys do. So I feel like they're going to be um, whether I bump one, it's going to be thick enough. You're going to circle me. I find my spot and get out, you know, but there's supposed to be a little bit of snow. So on Friday, so that might even help me decide where I want to hunt, but yeah, I'm going to try, try to take a bow out just cause like I said, I haven't shot one last year with a bow. And I just, like I said, I get a rifle and I want to see just like everybody else, a hundred yards, but the bucks not, they live in them shadows them big. If you have them hemlocks or them, whatever pines or whatever type of the dark, that's the way they feel comfortable and they're not going to walk out in the open, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my game plan. 
Yeah. Spe- speaking of Spartan Forge, especially as it gets later and kind of beyond the gun season into that pure late bow, um, are you like choosing, you know, if you've got the time, are you choosing what days are just going to be scouting days versus which days you're going to actually go in for the kill based on the, the conditions? Or are you pretty much hunting every chance you get? Um, probably most whatever chance I get because I'm just so busy working right now to where there's years that I had the time. And like, that's why I think Spartan forge is going to be a big help because it's going to, it's going to look at the weather. It's going to, the predictions are going to be laid out that time of year of what, what's making the deer move um, to where you can just set up your, you know, by that you could set up your hunt according to that to give you your best time for deer movement. Um, But I am limited this year. I'm definitely got So it's more or less, uh, hunt when I got the time. Um, but also like if I'll, I'll use the app to, to help me decide maybe when I should scout and when I should, should hunt, you know, I'm still very much dependent on it. Um, but like I said, it's, uh, I'm limited. Like I got three or four days hunt coming up here and I'm just going to hunt every day, you know? Um, but then again, when I get into January, I'm definitely gonna be a lot more dependent on it because my work slows down and I can say, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is when the full range, this is when they're, you know, this is, Hey, there's going to be in this core area. You know, there's some thick Oak flat or something. Okay. This is what I'm, I'm going to depend on hunting there, you know? So yeah, right now I'm still hunting when I can, but there's going to be a time when I can more depend on the app because I'll get slower with, with my excavation in the January, you know? So yeah, so yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to rely on. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping I'm kind of in the same boat a little bit. Um, but I, I do have a couple of PTO days that I've saved some I mean, weekends are the weekends. Right. But for those PTO days, I'm hoping to be able to time those up with when we hopefully got a full range type of prediction, especially on that muzzleloader hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I'm almost excited a little bit because last couple of years I've filled my, you know, whatever tags I wanted to fill earlier in the year and this year, because I have enough tags that are late season kind of excited that this is it's kind of forcing me into the opportunity where I'm going to go out there and I'm going to learn it, you know, and then mm-hmm. that's, that's information that I'll be able to carry into next year and that, you know, all the years thereafter as well. Yeah. And it's, they can be patterned if the, if the conditions are right, if it's cold and the food and the cover you can get and the pressure's low, you can pattern a deer. And I, you know, the rut's crazy. I mean, I don't have time early season, so I really like, probing around and learning what I need to do and set up accordingly, you know? Um, and they, they have to feed pretty much. Um, so yeah. Do you find that some of those older bucks go back to the same exact areas year after year in late season or they seem to move around a little bit? Yeah. in PA it's, it's whether it's the same deer or, or a different mature animal, it's kind of the same areas and the bigger forested, less terrain, flatter brows you, you know i feel like they do gravitate toward the same areas you know i just don't know if it's like that's how it was they seen when they were younger seen the older bucks there and they just do it um but definitely it associates with thermal cover and especially on the colder times you know maybe not and up there not always south slopes um it's it's weird i don't i don't know why i've seen them a lot on north slopes um, but other places I've seen where the South Slope, they, they would move to that. You know, I, I just, it's not always like, oh, South Slope, you got to be there because I've seen them. 
big bucks on north slopes feeding on this side. Now, maybe when you get to the weather, it snows an inch on the north and nothing on the south. I can see that, but they're pulling through um, the snow in general. It's that, you know, it, I've seen them on both, but there are other states that I, when the thermal cover maybe is less, so you could get them on them south slopes, but you got to fill that herd out. It's not always, oh, I got to hunt a south slope because I haven't, that's not always just like anything yeah. else with not always guaranteed definite so yeah and that i don't know how closely it compares to ohio but i know a lot of the stuff i've walked in like southern minnesota or even you know turkey hunting in iowa seemed like you got the northern slopes that were in many cases perhaps a little bit more open timber and then sometimes on the southern slopes you get the more cedar choked down thicker because maybe it's just more sunlight promotes different type of growth or whatever and then sometimes you get like patchiness too to where you'd have like that thicker cover, but then there'd be like a bare spot amongst the cover to where you get some sunlight, then, you know, going in and hitting it, just be like grassy. Um, or if it was really steep, it might just be like dirt, you know, but then there's yeah. cover, cover kind of around it. So, yeah, that's, it's all good stuff. I think one last question for you. Do you, do you find that in more scenarios than not, if you're in an area with a high deer density, Old, older bucks will take some of the same trails as most of the rest of the deer. If I find a heavy beat down into the dirt or beat down in the snow trail, that it's almost not worth putting a camera over that. If I'm hoping to catch a picture of that buck, cause he might be walking some different trail. Yeah. I mean, there's high deer dens- density areas where you can get lost trying to find that one buck track because there, there are or high doe density or where there are so many does. But usually he'll you'll you'll find him as the random track moving through. But um, you know, then you get a pack down snow, maybe a trail that um, you can't tell a track. You know, um, so I'll, you know I, I run them on a trail if I feel like the deer are using them. You know, and sometimes they are if you do got the if it's like a close proximity to a food source or um, bedding or something to where they're gonna choke down to a trail. You know, maybe catch them and just just see them there. But um, I found a lot, like in northern parts of the country, I've seen a lot of the deer, the mature deer, like I said, 18 inches, as long as it ain't a crazy ice cover, that they'll, uh, they, they'll make our own trail. It's weird. It's like you think, it seems like in around 20, then they'll start having to break trail two, two feet. But um, up till then, um, yeah, they're just kind of still on their own beat, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, they'll gravitate toward cover when they are moving, if, usually just for security. Um, not saying they would walk across the open, but um, I, I always try to put – it's usually where I think a deer is going to walk. I, I, I check cameras. Sometimes they walk there, but sometimes they walk right by it and you miss them. So don't be afraid to have a little cluster of cameras in one area. If you really kind of know he's coming through this area, if it's flat or ain't no top of it, then put three cameras out. You know, to, to know more. I mean, there's times where I put a camera out, nothing on this one, and this one shining this way has three bucks on it. Huh. So, yeah, I always try to carry, and I always, like, if I just want to quick scout a spot, I always take two cameras with me because all the times I took one camera, I end up coming back to the vehicle with one camera because I'm looking for that best spot to where if you take two, you get out there, oh, this is okay, and you throw it out, and then 
then you have time to look for a better spot, you know, so always try to at least grab like a quick off the road scout or something, you know, just take them with you. Um, but yeah, it's a big tool using them cameras. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to, you know, keep in touch and I'll, I'll let you know kind of how, how my season goes yeah. as it goes. And I'll be checking in with you. Um, if the, if people want to, you know, check out more of what you're doing, kind of follow along to what you're posting about, uh, Instagram's kind of the main place, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Johnny Stewart, uh, I usually try to post my stories while I'm hunting through the season, when I'm seeing and scouting. Um, hopefully, and I have a lot of people message me, you know, got questions about areas that they hunt, and I try to help out as many people as I can, you know, with the time I've spent in the woods and just even the things I post, people are happy to, you know, just little tidbits, stuff, I think, to help people. Sometimes I get focused on hunting and I don't post much, but I do, you know, try to post something to kind of keep people aware of where I'm at and what I'm hunting and, and they could kind of follow along. So, so yeah, I'm going to get um, back out there and get some scouting here in the next couple of days and getting a tree for PA. And then I haven't thought about going out to Minnesota there maybe in December and I got Ohio yet. I don't know. Kind of, I guess it all depends on if I kill anything. That's the biggest thing. I have a hard time going to a state and hunting a new state when I didn't even kill, you know, in the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again for jumping on, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes, and if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening. <laughs>